Welcome to Zenergy, the interactive podcast providing resources for building a better life. I am Zenashe. I'm your coach, your conduit, and your catalyst to that better life. A coach draws out hidden potential in a subject, a catalyst sparks change, and a conduit provides a connection. So today we're going to be talking about friendship. And we're also going to be talking about my book, Plenty of Guppies, which does talk about friendship in a lot of different ways. And I do have a guest with me. So say hi to the people. Hello. Hello. So this is Sarita Wilson. I'm so glad that she's able to be with me. She actually was with me um, last week in a radio studio, 107.5, The Jam. And we had a great conversation last week. So we're kind of coming back to talk about friendship. And before I start, um, I wanted to say that Zenergy itself is a friend because one of the things I wanted to do when I started Laughs and Lyrics three years ago is provide a platform for creatives. And when I started Zenergy, I also wanted to pr provide a platform, especially for um, Black authors, Black poets, uh, Black business. So Zenergy is about friendship. Start to finish everything about it. Um, I'm even sporting today this shirt, which says support black entrepreneurs. I actually got this at the shrine of the black Madonna. This is actually a group in Houston and they go out and they, um, talk to a lot of black entrepreneurs. They interview them. They put them on their platform. They want to bring awareness to black entrepreneurs. Um, so I did put I hopefully think, hopefully it shows up on the live, but I'm just going to say it. If you want to support Zenergy, I don't normally like pitch for donations or sponsorships, but since we're talking about friendship, you know, I wanted to put out there that I don't ask anybody to pay to come on my platform. Never have, never plan to. Um, everything I do is supported by merchandise. It's supported by donations. It's supported by the people that sponsor the episodes. So, you know, if you want to donate, Zenashe Poetry is my cash app, Z-E-N-A-S-E -E Poetry. Um, if you want to sponsor through Patreon, my link tree, you can go to that. It's in my Facebook bio. The link tree is there. You can click on that support through Patreon. Uh, you can support me through PayPal. You can support through buying merchandise. I got a whole bunch of merchandise on this table, you know, and I vend all the time. So my profits go right back into the community, right back into providing a platform for people to come on and talk about how to enhance their lives and impact their circles. And so I kind of just wanted to say that before we got into this discussion, because I never say it, you know, and I need to get better at, at saying it because, you know, the more that this platform is funded, the more I can do. And the more that the people that I bring on will be able to get out to the people that need to know about them. You know, so I just wanted to put that out there. So I want to thank you for joining us tonight because we're going to be talking about friendship. And very first thing I wanted to ask you is why did you pick this topic? I normally have like 10 topics on my list. So what kind of stood out to you about friendship? Why did you pick that? So I did look at all of the topics and some of them were very interesting to me, but friendship stood out the most because I knew it would be a challenge to speak about. And I've been challenging myself to get outside of my box lately. Friendship is something that I've never truly focused on. I'm not the person who goes out and seeks to make new friends, but I also have very interesting perspectives about friendship that certain people or certain groups of people may be interested in. So that's why I chose friendship. Well, awesome. And 
I think it's very interesting that you say that because if I had to describe myself, and this may surprise some people who interact with me now, uh, years ago, I would have described myself as a loner, a lone wolf. I would have described myself as completely an introvert. And um, I didn't, uh, like you said, I didn't put friendship really high on my list of priorities. Um, I was used to doing a lot of things by myself, for myself. And that was just fine. Now, when I did have friends in my life, I definitely treasured them and wanted to enhance that interaction, but it wasn't something that I went out looking for. In fact, when I first got on social media, when I first got on Facebook, I would see these posts about, well, if they don't talk to you in 24 hours, then they're not really your friend or they're not really interested in you. I could never understand those posts because I'm like, when I was in high school, I used to see these little girls and they would talk to each other at school, in class, in the hallway, after school on the bus. And then they would call each other when they got home. That sounds like a lot. And I was like, what could you possibly have to talk about? I had no (laughs) concept of how people could interact that much. And it just, you know, they would look at me like I was an alien from planet Mars because I just could not even fathom having that much contact with a person, you know, hour after hour after hour, day after day after day. And this is what they did every day. How, how much is there to talk about where you have to talk <laughs> to the same, you know, the same people several times or multiple times a day? especially in grade school, what is there to discuss? Even in adulthood, we don't have the time to sit around and talk on the phone or text all day because we have other things to do. And any friend of yours or any friend of mine should understand that, that we are adults, we have things to do. And even if we don't have things to do, we may not always feel like talking. And it does not necessarily mean that you are not friends with a person because you don't talk to them every single day. I have friends that I don't talk to daily, that I don't talk to monthly, that I may talk to every two months. I have friends in other cities, but each time we get together, we can pick up right where we left off and we can always hold each other accountable when we need to hold each other accountable. In my opinion, that's what makes a good friend. Not someone who calls me 15 times a day because I need my space. Calling me multiple times a day or texting me multiple times a day, especially when you have nothing of substance to add is a fast way to lose me as a friend because it feels clingy. It's suffocating. And you know, and a part of being a good friend is knowing what your friends need and what they don't. That's a really good point. Now, now fast forward to now in my life and my very first experience. And I talk about this in my book, plenty of guppies, My very first experience with having someone that I talked to every single day was a guy that I nicknamed San Antonio. I met him on Black People Meet. He um, basically texted me through the app and said, you seem so interested. I'd love to have a conversation with you. And I was like, it's like 10 o'clock at night and you live in San Antonio. I live in Houston. Why would you want to talk to me? We don't even live in the same city. And he was like, just give me a chance. I think we'd have a great conversation. And, you know, just uh, I'm going to give you my number. You can call me anonymously. If you're not entertained, if we don't have a great conversation, just hang up. You'll never hear from me again. And I was like, okay, all right, that's fine. So I called him and we ended up talking hours. And then we did, we talked every single day for two years. 
We didn't text all day, but we did talk every single day for two years. I had never had that experience before, but it was just fun talking to him. So that was my first time. And I was, I believe, 43 years old when that happened. That was my very first time ever having a friend that I talked to every single day. Um, and to segue into another question that I told you I probably ask, let's talk about female friends and male friends. Okay. Now, I, I, I have had female friends. I still have female friends. I have more male friends than female friends. Um, and I found it interesting that I had never had a desire to talk to a woman every day. But this guy that I never even met, we could talk every day. Um, and for two years, we talked every single day. So for me, um, I've had great female friends. I, I, one of my female friends is a girl that was my roommate in college. And we got together back on Facebook because we lost touch with each other, ended up back together on Facebook. And I love that she's in my life. She's always such an amazing person and such a positive influence. And I also wanted to mention um, my co-host, Kay Jones Hearts. I mentioned um, Laughs and Lyrics, my live show. You know, so we've been friends ever since we started performing together three years ago. Um, so I do have ladies that I feel support me, love me, understand me, have my back, want my best interests, all that stuff. But we don't talk very often. And the people that I generally tend to talk to very often are men. Um, so what has been your experience with male friends versus female friends? And, and do you have any I, I have a couple of thoughts on why that is. I'm going to share them, but I wanted to hear your thoughts first about what's been your experience and what are your thoughts on that? My experience with female friends versus male friends, it's just about even, you know, you know, as I stated a little earlier, I don't actively pursue friendships. So if I'm able to become friends with a person, then there's going to be something that drew me to him or to her that made me feel like I trust this person that made me feel like this person and I have the same values. But as far as, you know, having female friendships versus male friendships, I will say that there has been more conflict in the relationships that I may have had with female friends or so-called female friends. Those are the relationships that I end quickly the moment that I feel there's going to be some sense of discord or some sense of competition or any sense of anything that doesn't necessarily make me feel centered. If it knocks me off balance, it's a friendship that I'm going to end. And as far as having male friends goes, I can't recall ever having an experience where I had to end a male friendship abruptly because something made me feel off-centered. So I think it's incredibly important. Like when you are approaching your friendships, whether it be a male friendship or a female friendship, those core values, whatever it is, whatever your core values are, whatever you feel like can make you and another person gel together and be friends, make sure they are there. Because if they aren't there, the relationship, whether it's a male friend or a female friend, they're all doomed to fail. Mm. Okay. I, I can agree with that. I can agree with that. So, um, you know, I, I've always wondered about why I've had more male friends. And I think, you know, maybe growing up, um, I was a tomboy. 
and I wasn't necessarily feminine, as people say. Um, I felt more comfortable around guys because they just made more sense to me. And um, so I wasn't into shopping. I wasn't into getting my nails done. I do now sometimes, but I like to get manicures, you know, pedicures. I wasn't into makeup. I wasn't into, I had dolls, but I wasn't really into the things that interested girls growing up didn't interest me. I like sports. Um, so I, I just, I guess I didn't really resonate with them and I got annoyed sometimes at how they complained about a lot of things and how they seemed to be helpless. I didn't like helplessness. I liked people who took initiative and tried to solve issues. And that seemed to be more men at, in my circle than women or girls. I mean, more boys than girls. So I guess I was drawn to strength. I was drawn to confidence. I was drawn to um, identity, knowing who you are and standing on that. And, and I just seemed to see as when I was growing up, there just seemed to be a lack of that in a lot of the females that I was around. They seemed to be too swayed by popularity, by fitting in. And I just, I couldn't, I couldn't resonate with that. That didn't make any sense to me. Um, I never was really caring about whether I fit in or right. whether I was popular. Those just were not my goals. Right. So, um, so I just didn't understand their motivations. It just, you know, so I never really, I just never really resonated with any of that. And so, um, I, I didn't even think it was a problem that I had male friends until I got married. <laughs> um, and then when I got married, my husband said, uh, you can't have male friends. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? I can't have male friends. Because that was uh, normal to you. Like you've always, you always had male I friends always, growing up. Yeah. So having a male friend was not abnormal to you. You didn't view it as anything that you were doing wrong. And then suddenly when a person tells you that the majority of your friends, you can't see as friends anymore. I could imagine that that's problematic for you. That that was problematic for you. It, it was, it was very problematic. And, and I did it because I was married and I'm trying to be a good wife. And, and, and my friends were completely platonic. Like we had never done anything ever, like nothing, no kissing, no touching, no flirting, no nothing, just friends. Um, and it just, I was, I, you know, it was really a, an adjustment for me, really an adjustment so. for me. So, um, what do you think about this idea that a man comes into a woman's life and says, you can't have any more male friends. You can't have these male friends. Um, and that some people, even women may feel about the guy that they're with, that there has to be something there. There has, it can't be platonic. Uh, they're attracted to you. You're attracted to them, da, 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 whatever. What do you, what, what do you think about that idea? I think that if we truly love a person and we truly want to be with a person that we will not tell them how to comport to themselves in their daily lives. If you have a bunch of male friends and you are a woman, or if you have a bunch of female friends and you are a man, like you stated, it could be strictly platonic. But if we love a person, we don't tell them how to conduct themselves and we don't tell them how to comport themselves in their friendships. We allow them 
to conduct themselves the way they've always been. Now it's up to us to decide whether or not we want to trust a person who has lots of opposite, you know, opposite friends of the opposite sex. That's completely up to us. But at the same time, it's really important that we are open about the nature of our friendships prior to getting into any long-term relationship, whether it's a marriage or if it's just a long-term girlfriend, boyfriend relationship. We've got to be honest about that. And then you also have to think about how you feel with someone telling you what to do. So it comes from every single angle. You have to think about how your partner feels about you having these opposite sex friends. And you have to think about how you feel with someone telling you you can no longer be friends with people of the opposite sex. So when it all comes down to it, it's really about preference and what you can and cannot tolerate in a relationship. I couldn't tolerate being told what to do in a relationship because autonomy is important to me. I'm sure it's important to a lot of people. So I could never tolerate being told what to do because when we love a person, whether it's our friend or our spouse or our long-term partner, we don't tell them what to do if we love them. And we have to trust that they're going to make the best decisions to help keep our relationship afloat. So someone telling me what to do in a relationship, it's a thing that can never work for me. Hmm. Interesting. Now I, I haven't, um, I have a cameraman here and, and he, he just made a, mm. so is there anything that you want to add? To? No, just that, you know, you spoke about autonomy last time and it just connects the dots with me. Just a woman being able to tell what they want to do with their body. And she, when she says autonomy, just understanding that it's her right, whether she wants to, you know, it's her right not to be, I don't want to uh, be controlled. So that was it. Okay. Okay. I mean, I don't think any human being wants to be controlled. Mm-hmm. Like when I reflect on childhood, mm-hmm. I did not like being told what to do mm-hmm. as an adult. I still don't like being told what to do because it strips away any autonomy that we may have, but children need to be told what to do, but that doesn't mean I liked it or that I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. So a part of being an adult, the best part of being an adult is being able to decide for yourself what you want to do for yourself. And anyone who interferes with that or threatens that may not be the person for you. Mm. I wanted to go back to conflicts. You know, you mentioned that you had more conflicts in your female uh, friendships than you did in your male friendships. Um, and um, I can't say that I've had that. I have had very few female friends that have been long lasting friendships, years and years and years. Um, and I wanted to kind of speak on that too. I saw um, a Facebook video. No, I don't know where the video came from, but I saw it on Facebook. And this woman said, if you meet a woman and she doesn't have at least three good female friends that she's had for about eight years or more, then you shouldn't date that woman because she doesn't know how to sustain connection. And I said to myself, okay, I don't have three female friends that I've maintained for eight years or more, but I have been married 11 years. And, and I that's was married before that. And, and I do know how to sustain connection. Um, but I, I also want to say about conflicts. Um, you mentioned when something, a friendship, there's a conflict that shows you that there is a disconnect in values that you exit, you end that friendship, Quickly. you move on. Um, and you don't feel any, um, 
at least it didn't seem like you felt any obligation to because you have because you're my friend right we got to work this out right. we got to we got to solve this issue we have to figure out how to come together we have to continue this interaction um i have been very fluid in my friendships in in terms of people flow into my life mm-hmm. we vibe we end up talking we may catch coffee a movie drinks whatever this goes on for however long it goes on and then we may end up going our separate ways. Mm-hmm. And I don't, when that happens, I'm not like, oh my God, what happened? What did I do wrong? I'm not like that because I just feel like there's, you know, this came up in the other radio show. Yeah. People can come into your, li- your life for a reason, a season or a lifetime. And he was like, well, it's always for a reason or a season, you know, um, and I'm talking about Julius Fogel, which he had a point. I couldn't argue with it, I mean, but I've, I've always had that thought, mm-hmm. you know, of, I don't need to, if it's going well and mm-hmm. it ends, that's okay. If it's going badly and it ends, that's okay too. I don't have to seek to, you got to stay, right? We got to stay together. We didn't invest it this much time. We got to stay. So um, why do you think that a person would make a statement like that, that you have to have these long-term connections, that if there's a conflict that you have to somehow work it out and, and, and otherwise you're not loyal or you're not able to sustain long-term connection? What, what, what do you think motivates that <laughs> kind of thinking? What motivates that type of thinking, I feel, it is trauma that mm. motivates that type of thinking. Mm. You know, in a lot of households, people grow up with the forgive and forget mentality and don't bother to monitor whether or not a person's behavior towards them has actually changed. Mm. You know, a lot of people grow up in households where there's tons of trauma and they witness things happening that they perceive to be normal. Mm. And they think that anytime a person messes up to a certain degree, you know, that has a potential to rock a foundation of any relationship they feel that if a person messes up to that degree that you somehow have to forgive them for all the things that they have done right. There is a such thing as a person doing something so egregious to you that you don't ever want to see or talk to them again. It doesn't matter how many good or wonderful things they've done for you in the past. And particularly when they know what your feelings are about a certain thing and they continue to offend you in that way. It's really a matter of self-respect because it doesn't matter what a person says they will do or won't do ever again. If you feel you have been disrespected to the degree that you cannot forgive, then you don't have to because the tra- the trauma continues to build and build and build and it seeps out into our other relationships. You know, we think, well, I saw this growing up between my grandma and grandpa or mom and dad, and she was forgiving. You know, my, my, I remember hearing, well, not me, and you know, me in particular, but certain people may remember hearing their moms say horrible things about, I don't know, people who were supposed to be friends or family and then smiling in their face the next mm. afternoon. Mm. And, and and maybe they think that that type of drama is supposed to be present in a friendship mm. without thinking about how it made you feel, how it made you feel when it happened. Do you ever want to feel this way again? And if you don't think that that's the way you want to continue to feel, it may be best to end the friendship. Mm. Seems like you were laughing over there. (laughs) You want to add anything? I just just really just can't wait till we start talking about the book. (laughs) Okay. Okay. You know, I, um, I know exactly what you're talking about. And it actually made me think about 
a raisin in the sun. I was watching that today. Did you see it on television? Today? I did not, yes, but the um, there's that. Today. Well, I I saw the one with uh with uh Danny Glover. I don't, I don't think, think that's the that original one. one. It's it's good. Um, I saw the one re- most recently with Danny Glover, but there is a scene in there where the nosy next door neighbor is, you know, they're at the door. Oh, it's Miss So-and-so. You know, she's going to come in here and she's going to have something to say about everybody. And then they have her come in and they act so polite to her. And she's sitting at the table and they're giving her a slice of pie, giving her some coffee. And, you know, and she's being on the sly uh, critical Uh of the fact they want to move Mm -hmm. into uh, a white neighborhood Mm -hmm. and basically saying you're about to get yourselves killed. Mm And this woman has no support for them. Very low-key disrespectful. Mm -hmm. Um, But they're being very hospitable. Right. And very um, welcoming and just blowing it off. And, of course, they're trying to get her out of the door as soon as possible. And, in fact, the younger girl, Benita, she basically is very short with the woman Mm -hmm. because she does not want to deal with this low-key disrespect this this um this criticism so she basically excuses herself and when the woman leaves and Benita comes back in her mother's like I don't appreciate how you were with Miss Miss Ethel or whatever her name was and and she's like but mama she's so done I don't I didn't raise you to be that way you know and that's an example of friendship the toxic kind as you're talking about when you're raised to be polite. This person is being disrespectful. This person's being critical, but you're just giving them coffee and pie right. because that's what you're supposed to do. Right. And some people, you know, I told you that I was having a discussion with a, a gentleman on Facebook earlier today who was part of a group of two or three gentlemen that said that I had posted some things that were bashing men. And, and I said, no, I don't. I don't. And you can pretty much, I I said, I'll put it out there. Anybody else think I'm passionate and everybody's like, no. But, um, one of the things I said to him, I said, I said, I said, I don't support traditional values. If those traditional values are toxic, just because something worked in the past doesn't mean that we can't, as Maya Angelou said, when you know better, do better. It Some of the things that we did in the past, they worked, but they also caused trauma. That situation of inviting the woman in, giving her coffee and pie, it worked to keep that friendship together. It worked. And maybe there might be a time where she needed to borrow some sugar from the, the neighbor next door because they're in survival mode. Right. And she has to keep that no matter how disrespectful this woman is, no matter how critical this woman is, she might need her for some sugar. She might need her for some eggs. She might need her for some flower so she's in survival mode of always thinking I can't cut off this friendship I can't tell her stop disrespecting my family because I might need her a week from now two weeks from now a month from now and if I'm if I speak up for myself she won't help me and that's a tough you know spot to be in. right that's but really but but in. what I'm trying to say is we are now at a place where many of us don't have to make those compromises. And we are, especially as women speaking out and saying, 
This friendship, this relationship is not as important to me as you said, my self-respect, my autonomy, um, supporting my own family and lifting them up. So I'm not in survival mode anymore. And I told him, I said, many of the women in the past were in survival mode. They didn't have the options that the women now have. So no, I don't support a traditional value where we need to put up with all these things because we're in survival mode. I support that now that we're in a better situation, we can learn to be on a partnership level. I agree completely. You know, and I said, if you feel that I should support traditional values in that sense, you will always be disappointed with what I put out. You will always feel that I'm bashing men because I will never say that that survival mode, that fear mode mentality of just let me placate this person so that they can be in my corner if I need them in the future. I will never support that because we're not there anymore. Most of us have graduated. I said, so just right now, I'm telling you just front and center, don't expect that from me. You won't get it from me. Mm Because we have moved to a different place. So now the people who expect that you either need to change your expectations or find someone who is still in that survival mode and will give you what you expect. It's not me. I can understand that. And you know, at the core of every human, you know, we don't or we shouldn't want to keep a person around just because we might need something from them. What does that say about you as a human being? You know, that you don't truly care for a person at all, but you keep them around just because you might need something from them. That is incredibly unfair. And those are the types of actions and the types of behaviors that keep toxic friendships afloat. That's what keeps them afloat. You know, you're either going to be friends with a person or you aren't. You know, this person is only going to be an acquaintance or they aren't. You have to decide or you don't want them around. You want them around or you don't. Which is it going to be? We can't keep people around just for the sake of our own egos, just because we might need something from them. So I better not do too much to offend him or her because I might need something from them. And like you mentioned, survival mode. If you can't get it yourself, don't use other people to get it either. Work a little bit harder so that you can get the things that you need for yourself and you won't have to keep people around that you don't like. What does that make you feel like on the inside? It should make you feel very, very low. Well, it wouldn't make me feel low. Not everyone. Everyone may not feel that way, but I can't engage with a person that, you know, I know full and well, I don't like them. I just can't do it. And, you know, and some people keep you around because they want to know what you're doing. They want you to know they're doing something. You know, you may be a, a, a source of some source of supply for them. You know, they may enjoy antagonizing you. You never truly know why a person wants to keep you around. That's why those core values are so important to identify early on. Energy, intuition, all of these things matter in the scope of a friendship. Like I was mentioning conflicts with uh, female friends earlier. If there is one thing that I do not like about a particular person, you cannot be my friend. I'm not going to try to pretend it never happened. I'm not going to try to unsee it. If I met you five minutes ago and there's a thing about you that I do not like, not anything on the surface, but something that would indicate deeper issues, I cannot be friends with you. There are friendship turnoffs. 
just like their relationship turnoffs. And like you were mentioning the girls in, in grade school didn't understand why you didn't want to talk on the phone all day and be together with them after school and talking on the bus. You know, so many women think that in order to be friends with other women, those are the types of things that you must do. You have to call her every day. You have to try and engage with her in a way that may not necessarily be above board, like gossiping. So many women attempt to build a bond through gossip. And that's a huge turnoff for me in the friendship category. People who come on too strong, excuse me, I don't know you, yet you're calling me friend and we just met two days ago. That's coming on too strong. So those are the types of things that have prevented me from forging friendships with women because they display things that turn me off immediately. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. You know, I, I, I can resonate with many of those things that you're saying. Um, I probably would have phrased it a little differently, but I, I definitely resonate with it. <laughs> you know, I wanted to um, talk about this whole idea. And, and in the book, I cover a lot of stuff about friendship, friends with benefits, um, and this whole idea of you got to start a romantic relationship as a friendship. And I've done that. Mm -hmm. I think it was a problem in my second marriage because the criteria for friendship and the criteria for a relationship can be two different criteria. They can be completely different. Yes. And you could be my, my ex-husband who's now passed on was a great friend to me, a great father to my kids. I mean, just, our friendship, yeah, that was solid as a rock. Our marriage had some major holes in it. <laughs> so those were two different things. Um, and then um, I put in the book quite a bit about if you start out as a friendship, you can have all kinds of problems because when you start developing feelings for that person, do they develop at the same rate? Or is that person still calling you a friend and you're thinking them, think of them as more, or are they introducing you as a friend? And you're like, they just introduced me as a friend. Uh, does that mean that they're not attracted? I mean, it just causes so many issues to me. Um, so much confusion. I don't see it. I think that you can get to know someone. Okay. I feel like the first step in any relationship is getting to know the person. That doesn't mean that you're going to develop into a friendship that you could be getting to know them as you're dating them romantically. I believe you have to get to know them to develop the kind of comfort level that leads to deeper intimacy. This is true. So to me, people are like, well, you got to know them as a friend first. No, you can get to know them as a romantic partner. They, you don't have to pass through this friendship stage because to me, like I said, the criteria are two different things, you know? So for me, I don't necessarily put a man I'm dating in the friend category. Mm -hmm. I just, he's the man I'm dating and we're getting to know each other at this point. You know, we're spending time together. We're seeing what interests we have in common. We're seeing what compatibility we have. We're exploring all of this stuff. You know, and that has nothing to do with being friends to me. Mm -hmm. You know, what do you think about this whole, you gotta be friends first thing? You know what? I am sort of indifferent about it. Okay. I think that the way in which a relationship develops Mm -hmm. is not as nearly as important as whether or not it works overall. 
you know, whether or not a person became romantic with a person before they became friends, whether it, it doesn't matter the order, does it work? Mm-hmm. But, you know, a lot of people who feel like you have to be friends with a person first, they may feel that there are some things that you may get to know about them first that will disqualify them from any further interest. You know what I mean? But at the start of a relationship with anyone, whether it's friends or romantic partners, you know, everyone puts their best foot forward. Everyone puts their best face on. You never truly know, you know, what a person is truly capable of as far as relationships are concerned. How you will determine that will be through the issues that you all experience together. And that will determine whether or not you all can be together for the long haul. Like my husband and I, we've been married for 17 years. It'll be 17 years next week, actually. And early anniversary. Yes, why thank you. It'll be 17 years next week. And my husband and I, I think we were friends with benefits before we were friends and then married. And here we are 17 years later. I can recall us becoming friends with benefits and cementing our relationship several months later. And my mother's listening. She may not have wanted to know that. (laughs) She may not have wanted to know that my husband and I were actually friends with benefits first. Like I was really telling her that we were friends only, but then she saw us kissing. So the the jig was up, but um, just a little goodbye kiss, you know, on the lips through the front window. She saw, you know, but still that's neither here nor there. But um, my husband and I were friends with benefits first. And here we are 17 years later. So the order that you go in is not nearly as important as how the relationship works when it's all cemented together. You know, this entire checklist, Mm. you know, that everybody has for what a relationship should look like and how it should progress. You know, it varies from one couple to the next. Mm. You just never know. And there are probably a lot of people who were friends with benefits first that may not admit it, but there are Mm. a lot of people who were friends with benefits first and then it turned into something different. And, you know, everyone feels like, well, you shouldn't do that or you can't do that. Uh, I can and I did. Okay. And here I am 17 years later with the same man. So it can work. Doesn't necessarily matter the order. Okay. Well, I did not know that about you. That, that is, that is a a wonderful um, story. (laughs) I love that. Um, I, in the book, as you know, you've read it. I, I yes. wanted you before we go into the book, because I know you had something you wanted to say about the book. I'm going to let you go in. But I wanted you to hold up your book for the people because you did something interesting yes. and unexpected um, that with your book. So tell us about why those tabs are there. So when I started reading this book, I knew two pages in or three pages in that this book was unlike any any other book that I'd ever read before. And certain things were sticking out to me and they were coming one after the other, after the other. And I said to myself, you know what, if I want to remember and be able to tell Zen what this book means to me, I'm going to have to come up with some sort of filing system so that I know what it meant to me and she knows what it means to me when I gift it back to her. So as you can see, there are a ton of colors here sticking out of the pages. So each color means something different. The pink, the pink tabs are the pages that made me laugh. The blue tabs are the tabs that are the pages that made me angry. The orange that sticks out the top of the page. Those are my favorite poems. The green tabs taught me something that I did not know prior to reading this book. 
And the yellow tabs are things that I have thought um, and believed to be true that no one else has ever said in print or otherwise. So this book took me through every single possible emotion, but in a good way. So you want me to talk about exactly what this book means or what everyone can sure. expect from it? Yeah, okay. sure. I didn't want to spend too long chit-chatting if you didn't want me to, but this book is everybody. It's every man, it's every woman, it's everyone who has wanted to be in a relationship. It's everyone who loves or wants to love and wants to be loved. You can read this book and find yourself in it. Where something that happened in the book, and I don't want to give anything away. I don't want to, I don't want to spoil the book for anyone who's not read it yet. But there may be pages that you read in this book that you may feel like you were there. Or I can remember something like this happened to me. Or, you know, just, it reminded me of, especially the parts that made me laugh. It reminded me of a movie or a sitcom. And I love sitcoms, especially those from the 1980s and early 90s. And that's what made this book so interesting because we know sitcoms are not real life. But what makes sitcoms so interesting is that we imagine them in the space of real life. When I read this book, and it reminded me of a sitcom, but I knew it was real life. That is what I found to be so interesting about this book. And it was also like reading your sister's diary. It was like reading your sister's diary, a diary you knew you shouldn't be reading, a diary you know that if she caught you reading it, there was going to be a problem if she caught you reading it. And, you know, that speaks to the transparency that you were willing to include in the pages of this book to capture your audience. You were not worried about, you weren't worried about people misunderstanding you. You were not worried about people labeling you. I think more than anything, when you wrote this book, you wanted people to see you. Mm. And in my opinion, that's exactly what happened. You know, you and I have known each other for a number of years now. And we've passed each other. You know, we've spoken. You've stopped in my office. I've stopped in your, in your working space and I always knew that there was something else to you more than what I was seeing. I, I knew that. But when I read this book, I found out exactly what it is. That was the piece that was missing that I knew was in you that I just couldn't identify. You know what I mean? And when I read this, all the pieces came together, you know, and you were so brave and so bold in putting your, your, I don't want to call them secrets, but putting your experiences in print for other people to read. And I think it's encouraging. I think it should, any woman who reads this book and doesn't find a source of encouragement from it, you know, um, I would be surprised. I would be surprised. Yes. I loved it. Thank you so You're most much. Welcome. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh my goodness. So I'm a little speechless right now. So I'm gonna let, if you have anything to say, John Ross, while I collect my thoughts for a second, cause that was wonderful. Um, it, it's like I told Zen, um, the thing I, f I love about experiences is that sometimes you have to be brave enough to share them. Yes. I think that for me, uh, the tangibility is that I know her. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes we read books and we'll never meet the author. Correct. We'll never know their experiences. We'll never know how they interact outside of their creativity. But I told Zen that 
the the piece that really just um solidifies the book as a masterpiece is that I know you and you did it. Mm-hmm. And you doing it is going to open up the gates for somebody else to say, well, I can write down my experiences too because I know somebody who did it. And just being from Houston, being in this scene of creatives, I think that it's a masterpiece. Just it is. Be, just just from the, the standpoint of, listen, you were brave enough to write it down because it would have been people that have said, nah, you know what? Leave the authors for real. Leave re- writing books for real authors. You're just an English teacher. Stay in that lane and help maybe one of your kids do that. And I just think that that right there qualifies it as a masterpiece because it's tangible. We can mm-hmm. touch it. We can see it. And then on top of that, you figure out a way to um, generate Mm-hmm. Income, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. from your hard sweat and your experiences, mm-hmm. and that just makes for you know the best type of passive, whatever it is, just to continue on your legacy and pass it on to your kids. Mm-hmm. And you wrote this book fairly quickly. I think sixty three days. You wrote this book. <laughs> yeah, it was about yeah. Uh, it was October third to uh, December eighth, so sixty five. Yes, you wrote sixty five days. You wrote this book quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, and and it did not affect the quality. And, you know, and I will admit, reading autobiographies is not a thing that I've ever enjoyed. You know, and for this to have been an autobiography and something that I enjoyed so thoroughly really speaks to the quality of writer that you are, because it kept me interested from beginning to end. You know, and you gave me this book in February and I didn't finish it until May. And that is not a testament to the quality of the writing at all. It took me so long to read this book because this is what I was doing to it. And since I know you personally, I wanted to have something good to report back to you. I wanted you to know that I really took this book in and that I took it seriously. I didn't want to tell you or give you, you know, a compliment that was incredibly dry. I didn't want to just say, oh, yes, it was good. I liked it. You know, I didn't want to say that to you. I really wanted to have something to report to you where you would know this woman read my book and these are the reasons why she thought it was good. So that's why I took my time with it, you know, and I gifted it back to you. I hope you keep it forever. I, I will keep, I it, forever. keep it forever. I will keep it forever. It, I will keep it, it forever. Put it in your safe. You, if you have a safe. Well, actually, I'm taking it out with me as I'm vending and I'm showing people. I was like, you know, one of my first readers, this is how she marked up the book. And this is what these things meant to her. And and she just she went on a whole, as you say, emotional journey. Uh, with all of these different experiences. So it really touched her in many different ways. And, and I think when you can see yourself, you know, speaking of books, just in general, we have both talked about how we're introverts. Yes. And how we have sometimes struggled with connecting with people, with finding core values with people. When I was going through my times of, I would say isolation and I, couldn't seem to find people that I resonated with. Mm -hmm. I would have to go look for people in books that I resonated with Mm -hmm. because I I didn't want to feel alone. I didn't want to feel weird. I didn't want to feel whatever I was feeling. I wanted to feel like, well, somebody passed this journey before and here's the proof that they came out on the other side and they were successful. So I would read people like, you know, Maya Angelou, like I know why the cage bird sings and just different books that really touch me on my journey. And sometimes books can be companions when you're going through it. So one of the reasons why I wrote the book, and this may sound really strange, but I'm just going to say it the way I thought it was I would get into these situations and I would think, 
I don't even know how to ask somebody about this. Like, how do I even approach asking a question about this? How do I phrase what I'm feeling? How do I? uh, And I would be in those circumstances and I would be like, man, I wish because I've found so much solace in so many books. Mm -hmm. I wish there was a book that told me what it's like after divorce dating. I wish there was a book that told me when you lose your mama, this is what you do. This is what you're going to feel like. This is how it's going to be. You know, when you lose your daddy, it's going to be different. It's going to be like this. And, you know, there may be books out there that deal with the subject of grief because we grieve relationships that end whether the person dies or we get divorced. But many of those books are not targeted at the African-American reader. True. You know, there's an entire self-help section in any large bookstore, but the authors may not have necessarily been thinking about their African-American reader when they wrote it. And that doesn't make them wrong. You know, it's just that that's not, that was not the target of their book. You know what I mean? And I think that you did a great job of displaying your grief in this book. You did a great job of displaying your grief, all the emotions, you know, your grief, uh, your happiness, your anger, your joy. You talked about it all in this book. And you didn't explicitly use the words grief, joy, happiness, or sad, but the quality of the writing was so good that the reader could feel it. Hmm. The reader could feel it. You didn't have to use the words. It is outlined perfectly in the pages of this book without using the words. Well, I I thank you for that. But, you know, I was hoping that, you know, we were at work and I bought, um, I think I brought 12 books to, to work. And it was right after I got the first shipment of books and I think I had ordered 15 and I had sold three right when I got, you know, the books. And then I took the rest of them to work. And I actually was just going to the English department. That was actually my goal. I had my little cart and I'm rolling to the English (laughs) department. And um, two, I think two people picked up books in the English department. And then I ended up in the counseling department. room the the where all the counselors are the counseling suite and the woman walked up and she said i heard you have a book about it begins the day you got divorced where is it can i buy from you i was like oh yeah yeah it's in my cart and then all of the counselors came out of their office you got a book about online dating right yeah yeah it's about that too but i heard it was about uh your mama passing i got a friend whose mama it's about that too and and it and it was like they bought the rest of my books. Mm-hmm. I had it. Were you there that day? I think I came by your office. I, I, I don't remember. I, I may not have been. But, but anyway, they bought the rest of my books. And it was so, I think I told you, um, every one of them came out and, and was like, I heard it was about this. I heard it was about that. I need to get one from a friend. And she just, I was like, it's about all those things. It's about life. And, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's. For me, it's a very, it's humbling when people say, you know, hey, your book helped me deal with a difficult time when I couldn't, I didn't even, like I said, when I was going through this stuff, I didn't even know you want to be a friend to a person, but sometimes you don't even know how to be a friend to a person. You don't even know you've not been through that situation. So you don't even know what to say. You don't even know what to do. So one of the things that I wanted to do for my audience who would sometimes reach out to me and say, you know, what did journaling do for your life? What did, how did you deal with what they had all these questions? I was like, I need to just put it all in a book because, because if you want to know how I got from here to here, I'm going to show you the whole journey. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And this is the whole journey. And so the book itself, the reason, one of the reasons why I wanted, I, I thought when you pick friendship, it was such a great topic and, and for many reasons, but writing the book to me was like, I'm going to give you a friend mm-hmm. that in so many different ways, if you're dealing with a divorce, if you're dealing with grief, if you're dealing with your kids leaving home, coming back, leaving home, coming back, your kids making bad decisions. You did talk about that. In the I book. did. You did talk about that. <laughs> like, and I would never have guessed that, you know, looking at you on a daily basis. Like mm-hmm. I, I could never have guessed many of the things that were in this book. Mm-hmm. I could never have guessed it. And that, you know, just speaks to your transparency. You weren't mm-hmm. afraid of it. You were brave. And like you were mentioning what mm-hmm. happened in the counselor suite when you mm-hmm. walked in there with your books and everybody thought it was about something different. You know, that's precisely what I meant when I said this book is everyone. It's every man. Mm-hmm. It's every woman. Mm-hmm. You can read through the pages of this book and find yourself. Yeah. You mm-hmm. can. That's what makes it so interesting. Well, thank you. I've, you know, and then it's it's very interesting. My sister and I had this talk a long time ago. And uh, she told me, she said, I was in college one day and I was in this class, composition class, and I wrote, I wrote this essay, you know, the professor had given us this topic, write an essay about whatever it was. And he called me into his suite and said, I can't, I'm not going to give you a, um, a grade on this essay. And she was like, why? My sister was like, why? And he said, because this could not have possibly happened. This was supposed to be a true story. And she said, uh, it did happen. If you need documentation, oh, I've got some. But yeah, it did happen. Now, I bring that up because we always laughed about it from that time to this time. And I said, I couldn't write a book about my whole life because if I wrote it down, nobody would believe it. No, I, I <laughs> believe no, no, but, but you know, it's, 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 when I describe the book, it is sometimes, you know, the looks that go on people's faces like, okay, so I have this book and it's, it's my memoir and it's about the last seven years of my life. And in seven years, I went on 147 dates and 101 are in the book. And they're like, really? You really went on 147 dates? Yeah, I did. <laughs> and 101 are in the book? Yeah, they are. Oh, wow. Really? Are you really? Yeah, I'm not exaggerating yeah mm-hmm. I 101 did. dates that's quite a bit it sounds very exhausting you know I remember I was I would come by your office and I while I was writing it yes and um <laughs> I would you would say how far are you now and I say I'm around date 60 and she's like oh my god I like, can't believe it I mean that just sounds <laughs> mortifying like I, I don't know that if I were single I could go on 101 dates like I don't know that I've been on 101 dates in the 39 years I've been alive like that's yeah. a ton of dates right I would be so exhausted and again it goes back to how brave you are you know and how you are not going to sit around and wait for a thing to happen to you Mm -hmm. you're going to make it happen for you you know I I don't know I maybe five dates I probably could have gone on and after that I probably would have just bought you know a dog or a cat or something that can keep (laughs) you know that could be my companion in the house (laughs) because I don't know that I'd have the energy to go on 101 dates. You are amazing. Well, well, thank you. But you know, it wasn't my intention in the beginning, but, but I just wanted to, um, it's, it's been an amazing journey and, uh, you know, 
I've found friends <laughs> through my dates. And that was one of the things that, um, is, is a great takeaway from the whole experience. Mm -hmm. You know, I I've done the friend with benefits thing mm -hmm. as you know, I talk about in the book. Um, but I also found just friends, just friends, people who were in my corner, people who supported me, people who still support me. Um, and that was a beautiful thing to meet like-minded people, to meet people that I felt intimacy with, mm -hmm. trust with, all of that. Um, we do need to kind of wrap up at the end, you know, um, is there anything that you feel like we haven't said about friendship that we need to say before we get off of here? Let me think like, you know, I mentioned earlier that I'm an introvert and I do have friends. I don't want, you know, the viewing public to think that I don't have any friends. Like I have a few, I don't have very many. And since I am not, you know, a person who believes in the force to fit method, you know, not with friends, not with clothes, not with anything. I don't believe in force to fit, but you know, I, I do have friends and I base my friendships. Uh, I'm more so a qualify my friendships than I quantify them. You know, it's really important to me how I feel when I am with a person who I consider to be my friend. I think there are different ways to be a different type of friend to different people. You know, I have a friend who lives in San Antonio and my friendship with her is different than the one or two friends that I have living here with me in Houston. Like all of my friends combined, like if I could fit them all into one person, like that one person would be my person, but I've not been able to find that in one person. You know, I have friend, a friend for this. I have a friend for that. And I do have one particular friend who we can talk about anything. And I do mean mm. anything. I can pick up my phone and read a text message from her and I will not be shocked with what it says. You know, I can <laughs> ask her anything. She can ask me anything. You know, I have friends who keep me accountable, uh, who, who, friends whom I hold accountable. You know, this whole thing about friendship can just be so murky and so muddy, but it is important that when we are seeking our friendships, that we are very, very clear about we will and will not tolerate what we can and cannot tolerate. And that's really been the driving force behind my friendships. Can I tolerate this? If I can't, we cannot be friends. It is that simple. So... Yeah, I have friends, just a few, but not a whole lot. So that's why I picked this topic, because I knew it would challenge me. Mm. I knew it would. Well, you know, I, uh, like I said earlier in the podcast, I, um, I'm always trying to get people to think for themselves mm -hmm. and to not feel like they have to do things the way other people say they have to do things. Mm -hmm. So uh, to me, you got to define what you need in a friend. You yes. have to define what role you're going to play in that friend's life, what role they're going to play in your life. And it doesn't have to be like someone else says that it should be. You don't have to talk every day. You don't right. have to text all the time. Right. You, you can have friends in different places, friends of different races, friends of different genders. You can, you can have friends that you do, you, you know, you do certain things with, mm -hmm. like you said, you have a friend for this and a friend for that. They don't have to be a, you know, 
jack of all trades. Right. And that wasn't know? even on purpose. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't even on purpose that I was looking for a friend that I can do this with and a friend that I can right. do that with. You know, I just noticed that there was an authenticity in them that matches certain portions of my authenticity and that we can build a friendship based on this. And that's just the way it happened. You know what I mean? But my one of the friends that I've had the longest since high school is the one I can talk about, you know, with anything. We can talk about any single thing on planet Earth, but we didn't we didn't do that on purpose. It sort of unfolded. It was not us trying to force our friendships to fit. It's just the way that it happened. And I'm so grateful for the few friendships that I do have. I'm grateful for them. Will I pursue other friendships? I have no clue. Uh, We'll see. I just don't know. And I also wanted to mention that friendships can evolve. They can devolve into nothingness, Yes, but they can evolve. You might go from friend to lover. You might go from friend to something else. You know, in my book, um, I mention um, a friend, Baba Fana, who became really my spiritual mm-hmm. father, you know, um, and, and birthed a whole new journey for me. Well, I won't say he birthed the whole new journey for me. I had been on a spiritual journey my whole life, but he directed me in a way where I had never been able to find, you know, you're like, I was all over the place. I'm all over the map looking spirituality. I'm just, you know, I don't even know where I'm going. I'm just searching, searching, searching. And then the person's like, come here, girl, give me your hand. Come Mm -hmm. here, come here, come here, come here, sit down. Let me teach you some things. You know, and then um, that was transformative. Um, I will never be the same. Never be the same. You know, the friends that I met in his class, the teachings, I will never be the same. So he became much, much more than a friend. Just like I said, like a spiritual father to me. So um, I would just say, let the friendships develop however they develop, let them be. And, and then be open to different groups. I just went to, I've been to two rich chick 360 meetings and we have these great, you know, sit down luncheons and people share and, you know, there can be some friendships that come out of that. We'll see. But just being open to that journey, being open to Facebook groups, being open to chance encounters, serendipity, you know, being open to things that just keep popping up. People that just keep popping up in your circle. Like, why does people person keep showing up? Maybe there's something there. I don't know. You know, just being open to the fact that there's a saying, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. So sometimes our friends are there to teach us things. Our friends are there to challenge us. Our friends are there to, to open our eyes. Our friends are there to support us. And it could be the, also the other way around. Sometimes they need us more this than we true. need them. You know, and you it's, know? it's funny. I know we're getting ready to wrap up, but it's funny that you mentioned um, changing as a result of a friendship. You know, the friendships that have changed me have been the ones that, that I recognize a need to end. Mm. Those are the friendships that have changed me and that have challenged me the most. Mm. Um, because, you know, what it ta- and what it taught me is to listen to my intuition. That's what those friendships, the ones that ended, taught me to listen to my intuition. When you hear it, listen to it. And I can say that for, you know, a portion of my adulthood, I did not always listen to my intuition. 
but I do now as a result of friendships that I have had to end. You know, I listened to it in other ways, of course, but not necessarily when it came to friendship. Mm. So that's the way that friendships have changed me, guiding me to my intuition and, you know, fully or not fully understanding what it may mean just yet, but listen to it. That's good. And I want to say one more thing, and you might want to chime in on this. I don't know my cameraman. One of the strangest friendships that I have had is my friendship with a character in the book called Gatsby. And we have ended our friendship, <laughs> ended our interaction multiple times, probably more times than I can count. But we have come back to each other many times. Um, and it's it's been a very, it's very interesting journey. I will say that. Um, but I do feel like in spite of some of the uh, problems and conflicts in that interaction, it still has fed me and it still has supported me and it still has uh, influenced me. And I have grown mm -hmm. as a result of that. Um, and I think that sometimes there's people who are like, like, you're like, why is this part? Oh gosh, I need to just, you know, yes. you have all these mixed feelings about yes. certain people. But, um, at this particular time, I can say that, that Gatsby is my friend. <laughs> Whatever else he may be, he's my yes. friend. He appeared and reappeared uh, yes. uh, throughout, the, throughout the text <laughs> in the book. You know, he was in, yes. he was out, he was out, he was mm. in, you know. Yes. But I'm glad to know that you all are still friends. We are still yes. friends, yes. Did you want to say anything at all before we you exit know, out of here? She mentioned sitcoms earlier. I just think that the relationship between Gatsby and Zen is that of sitcoms. It was very sitcom-esque, yeah. I will and admit. It reminds me of the classics, uh, Ross and Rachel, Friends, mm -hmm. um, Izzy and Karev on Grey's Anatomy. Mm -hmm. To an extent, Carl, I mean, not Carl, Laura and Steve Urkel, to an extent. Mm -hmm. Just the classic, the classic relationships where eventually that frog becomes a prince. Mm -hmm. Or... On the other hand, the popular jock takes on the dorky girl, right? Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, and I also told, I told Zen that that book belongs on the silver screen. Yes, it does. This would be a fantastic movie. Mm. This would be fantastic. You know, a lot of good movies were based on books first. Exactly. Like, you see if you can get this onto the screen. I agree. Uh, I'd be there to see it. If you would take me to the premiere with you, I'd be happy to go. <laughs> I would love to. <laughs> and and to I've go. told him, I was like, you know, if, if that's in the cards, we'll, we'll just have to see how things go because I, I, I don't know where to start with that. Mm. And it feels like an overwhelming idea because that is a, a book. It's a book. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It's not like a 200-page book. It's, there's a lot of stuff in there. <laughs> yes. But... But uh, yeah, so I'm I'm definitely open to that. Anybody who's watching out there, you know what I'm For saying, sure. who has any 
you know any connections connections with me with movies and all that kind of stuff well you know we'll we'll i'd definitely be willing to talk but um i want to thank everybody for joining in i think we've had a fabulous talk about friendship and all of the ways that it morphs and changes and challenges us and society's views on it um and just many different aspects of it and uh once again i would say hey if you love this content if you believe in what we're doing talking about issues getting people to think for themselves trying to get people to make better decisions, trying to put resources in the hands of people, connect people. Definitely please like, you know, the videos on YouTube, share the videos on Facebook, um, go and listen to the other podcasts. There's like 90 other episodes. Please rate it. If you're on Spotify, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, if you want to be a guest, you can go on my link tree, sign up to be a guest and, you know, financially support buy the merchandise, We've been talking about the book. I got all kind of other merchandise, you know, buy the merchandise, you know, support, support, support so that I can do more so that maybe I can get the book to the silver screen, yes. you know, um, but support. And I want to thank you for everybody that tuned in. May you walk in synergy. Have a great night. Zenashea, a newly divorced 43-year-old Southern woman, wanted a fresh start. She'd heard there were plenty of fish to choose from in the modern dating pond. What she discovered were plenty of guppies, exactly 101 of them. The result? A provocative, transparent, raw, and delightfully uncensored account of her experiences with the 101 men she encountered on her journey to find the one. In Plenty of Guppies, Zen spills all the tea on dating psychology, relationships, and self-discovery while giving readers a rare glimpse into the life of an award-winning artist and best-selling author. The book is an enlightening narrative that explores gender roles and identity outside of societal expectations. Zen has written a refreshingly mature modern-day epic of online dating, layering her personal story with erotic poetic verses and passionate prose that frame her journey toward rebuilding a life as a single woman and adjusting to both an empty nest and boomeranging children. Thank you.